Welcome to the I Am In podcast. We are excited to announce that this summer, 2022, we will be recording our weekly summer speaker each Wednesday night at the Boise Institute. We will hear messages from various individuals sharing their life story in front of a live audience of young adults. Each speaker will share key times that God manifest Himself and prevailed in their life. It's the reason they continue to say, I am in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am Michelle Burke, the host of the I Am In podcast and an instructor at the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. Clay Anderson grew up in Rexburg and is a native to Idaho. He served a church mission in England and graduated from the University of Alaska with a bachelor's in accounting. He received a master's in business administration and a CPA license from Arizona State University. He works as a commercial investment real estate broker at Collier's International and has sold $1.8 billion in real estate over the past 16 years. He currently serves as a counselor in his stake presidency. Clay Anderson and his wife Selena are the parents of five children, the first three being triplets. His favorite quote, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Enjoy listening to Brother Anderson talk about how God has prevailed in his life. I'm grateful to be here. I wanted to share just a few um, thoughts of, of the things that have guided and helped me in my life. If you think about it, there are two important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you understand why. As you understand your role and your purpose as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's another important day. I, I look at my life and I'm grateful for parents that taught me correct principles, great siblings, had a lot of good mentors in my life, uh, teachers, coaches, and I'm grateful for them and I've learned a lot from them. As I share a few thoughts, um, several themes in my life, and maybe the stories that I share will carry through. Uh, um, the importance to let God prevail. The importance of centering your life on Jesus Christ. The comfort knowing that God believes in agency and He loves and trusts us with that agency. God can do more with your life than you can. Doing the little things daily and consistently lead to great things. And of course, President Nelson, I love the message she shared, which has been consistent. Ha the, the happiness of our lives has more to do with the focus of our lives than, the, than these circumstances. So, as was shared, I grew up in Idaho. I grew up in Rexburg. My parents taught at Ricks College, and um, I had a great life. My, I grew up on a street, Apache, and between Apache and Mohawk, there were probably 20 to 25 kids my age. And so you'd roll a ball out, and we'd play basketball, football, anything in between, and I, I, I feel very blessed to have a sheltered life that um, was, was very healthy and, and uh, full of good activities. I, um, I grew up playing a lot of basketball, and I ended up, I was the ball boy at Rick's College, so I see guys and I'm like, hey, you liked yellow Gatorade, you liked red Gatorade. I ended up playing at Rick's College and then uh, served a mission as was shared in England and I, uh, my freshman year of college, I had a great season. I was the leading scorer on the team. And I, was, I was tied for second in rebounds and uh, it was all conference. And I, but I knew after that year I was going to go on a mission. There was no doubt in my mind. I never asked the question, am I going on a mission? 
The only question was, what kind of a missionary am I going to be? And so when the time came, I went to England, and it was a neat experience for me. I guess it was a humbling experience, too, to be stripped, so to speak, of all the things that define me. Basketball, student body officer, an Anderson in Rexburg. You know, all these things that people recognized me for were gone. I was in England. They didn't care. They don't care about basketball. And I found a greater purpose centering my life on Jesus Christ and recognized that that was a much firmer foundation in, in, in establishing a, a better future. So I, I'll try to focus a bit on um, the time and the window of time in my life when I was more uh, in your guys' shoes. So I got home from my mission and my mission president, again, I'm in England, it's an English mission president, his name is President Wigglesworth. <laughs> that isn't an English name, right? So he gave me the, the exit speech and said, hey, you know, be thinking about your future spouse and who you're going to marry. And also, as you're heading out the door, think about some of these sister missionaries in our mission. I thought, oh, that's okay. <laughs> so I went home and I, and I wrote down kind of a list of attributes in somebody that I wanted to marry. And I prayed for my future spouse. And I found as I reviewed those attributes, it inspired me to be better and to do better to recognize if I expect these attributes in somebody else, I should expect them in myself. And I had a, a goal to be married within five days of my mission. I'm just kidding. Within, <laughs> within five years. I thought, you know, that's, I got basketball. That's important. Within five years, I want to be married uh, after my mission. Let God prevail, right? We don't always control the timing of when we get married. So I met my wife that summer, and we dated, and we got married within seven months of being home. So we got married Christmas time. So it was more than five days. That's why I had to set it up with five days. <laughs> we both played basketball at Rick's College our sophomore year, and then my wife also uh, was an All-American high jumper. She took third at Nationals her freshman year. Some would say I married her for her, her athleticism. I'm here to tell you that's true. <laughs> but also, um, as I thought about the attributes that I expected in a, in a future spouse, I, you know, I start checking the boxes. And she didn't check all the boxes. But thankfully, she checked the boxes that mattered most. And we've been married now, uh, 20, I better know this, huh? 27 years, going on 28. And there are more boxes I didn't know about that needed to be checked that I'm grateful uh, for who she is and what she's taught me. Anyway, so we, we got married, and then we decided uh, we had to figure out where we were going next. We knew we could have an opportunity to play uh, basketball further, and, and she also had opportunities to play track. One, one thing I would share, and in, in, you guys are in this kind of the decade of decision-making, right, and, and these hinge points of your life of making decisions. And oftentimes, because your parents and others will tell you, you can do anything, you can marry anyone, you can live anywhere, and that's true, but oftentimes... The, the breadth of options can paralyze us and make us have a hard time making decisions. So there was an experiment they called the jam experiment. They took uh, a, a, a jam manufacturer and they had 30 different flavors of jams. And they offered it for every patron in the grocery store, they offered a coupon. They said, 30% off, go to the back of the store, there's these samples. And you get to try a sample and if you want to buy jam for 30% off, you can buy jam. So 
many people come into the store, they get the coupon, oh, this is great. They go back, 30 flavors to choose from, right? And then they kind of monitored and tracked how many people bought jam. Later in the day, they offered the same coupon with six choices of jam. They said, same deal, 30% off, go to the back of the store, try your jam. So what would you expect? That people with more options would be more decisive in making a decision to buy jam or those with less options? Logically, you might say, oh, I would think if I had more options, I could, I'd have a, I, you cover more bases, but it's not true. People became paralyzed by the process of too many choices. And so three times as many people with six options bought jam than those that had 30 options. I think that's an important principle in decision-making that we, to, in order to make good decisions, we have to filter that information and eliminate a lot of the noise so that we can then focus on the things that matter and, and, and make a decision. So my wife and I, Selena, we were at college and we decided let's kind of filter the information. Where do we want to go for our next steps? We had colleges we could go to that were that we, we would have had to walk on. They didn't offer scholarships. We had other places that offered her a scholarship for track or basketball. And so we had to kind of start to line up our options. And in the end, we ended up with two schools that were offering us both scholarships to play basketball. One was in Alaska and one was in Pocatello, Idaho State, and then University of Alaska Anchorage. And in the end, we, so we had filtered down. We said, let's just eliminate schools that are not close to home or at least in the West. Let's eliminate schools that don't really want us. And it came down to those two. For us, that filtering process helped us then in our analysis of those two options. But in the end, it's still, um, we didn't have a strong impression one way or the other. Agency is a powerful thing. I look back and I look at the time and I, I saw that God trusted us in our decision. There wasn't a wrong answer for our decision. We would have been successful in Pocatello. We would have been successful in Alaska. So we chose to go to Alaska. We lived there for three years and had, had a great experience playing basketball. The other, one other thing I'd share is that I've learned, especially from my wife, she's helped me, is to learn to laugh at yourself. You know, you can't take life too seriously. So, and I'm, I'm just kind of sweating now because it's hot. I don't know if the air conditioning's on or not, but it reminds me of a story. When I, um, I was playing basketball and the, this, our, pres, our stake president, President McCary, asked me to speak at stake priesthood on uh, serving a mission. And I felt really strong I needed to be there and I was grateful for the opportunity. My wife was traveling, she was out of town, I'm home, it's a Sunday morning, the, the meeting was Sunday night, and I didn't feel very good. I had a fever, and I thought, oh, I gotta, I gotta rally up and get ready for this meeting, and I just didn't feel good. So I, I uh, about an hour before the meeting, I called President McCary, and I said, President, I, I can't make it, I just, I don't feel good. He said, okay, that's fine, if, if something changes, let me know. As soon as I hung up the phone, my fever broke. I thought, this is a sign. God wants me to be there. I'm going to share this message. So I called President McCray back. I said, President, my fever broke. I'll see you tonight. So, uh, 30 minutes before the meeting, I started getting the chills. And I thought, oh man. I told him I was coming. And I'm kind of getting chills now. And I didn't have my wife for a good sounding board. So I thought, well, what if I put a sweatsuit on underneath my suit? So I put sweatpants underneath my suit pants, and I put a sweatshirt underneath my white shirt, and I put my jacket, and I thought, this feels awesome. I feel great. 
the chills are balanced out and I feel great. So as things proceed, I went to the meeting. I sat down, I was the second speaker. When the first speaker started speaking, I started to get a little warm. And I realized this was not a good decision. <laughs> I'm getting hot. And so then it was too late to go try to take the sweatsuit off. And so I got up and I, had, I hadn't shaved that well that day because I wasn't feeling great. And I just was sweating as I'm giving my talk. I'm wiping my face off. There's cotton on my face. And I delivered a great message. <laughs> but afterwards, we got done and one of the young men came up to me, I could tell you were really nervous. <laughs> I said, well, I was, but I have this sweatsuit underneath my suit and it's really hot. Anyway, I, my brother-in-law, Cass, he played up at, in Alaska with us, and every time we think about that story, we have a good laugh. The other story is I think about singing a song before we started, um, and again, we can't take ourselves too serious and not be offended at things, but we got to Alaska. I always wanted in my wife, you know, checking boxes, of someone that was musically talented, and she had learned to play the piano early on but had not stayed with it, but she was a good singer. So we got to Alaska, and she said, uh, we were probably two weeks in. She said, hey, we're going to be in the Ward Choir. I said, oh, did you make a friend? Who's we? Who's going to the Ward Choir? <laughs> she said, no, we're in the Ward Choir. So I said, okay, I'll go. So we go to the Ward Choir, and I'm like, I love music, but I'm not like a great singer. And so I, I'm singing my part and getting into it, and all of a sudden the choir director says, oh, wait a second. Something doesn't sound right on this side of the room. <laughs> And I thought, that's my side of the room. <laughs> who is it? Who, who can't sing? And I'm looking around thinking, I'm sure I sound pretty good, but who is it? So he said, okay, just you guys sing. So we're singing, and then she says, okay, just the back row. Me and two other people. <laughs> now I'm going, oh, maybe it's me. So we sing another stanza, and she says, she points to me, okay, just sing a little quieter. <laughs> I stayed in the choir. I was, I was a part of the choir, and I, uh, uh, as long as I sang a little bit quieter, we sounded really good. But again, I wasn't offended. I, we, you learn to laugh at yourself and, and appreciate that uh, you know, life has different twists and turns for you. So anyway, we, um, yeah, it was a challenge. <laughs> Living in Alaska was, taught us a lot of good lessons. Um, my senior year, we were playing Kentucky. They had won the national title the year before, and they thumped us. You know, we lost by 30. But in the game, I was guarding a person that was faster than me, stronger than me, could jump better, could shoot better. But I was trying my best. I dove for a ball, and I blew my shoulder out. And I ended up getting a medical hardship here, and I was able to come back the following year. For me, life, there was a lot of focus on basketball. And all of a sudden, these great teammates, this great team, this great experience was taken from me. It was, again, a reminder that our happiness is tied more to the focus of our lives than the circumstances. And so we found purpose in that. And we had an extra year in Alaska to enjoy uh, another year of, of playing and, and finishing up school. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of life in Alaska. Then after that, again, the process of decision-making. We decided we wanted to get closer to family, finishing college. I had graduated in accounting, and it came down to either moving to Phoenix, Boise, or Salt Lake City. Those were the three cities. We kind of 
filter down, which then made our decision making a lot easier. And we chose to start our lives in, in Phoenix, Arizona. It was a, a good experience. I worked as a CPA and um, I quickly realized though that I didn't really want to be a partner at a CPA firm. I looked at those ahead of me and thought, that's not where I want to be in life, but it's a good place for now. At the same time, we wanted children. My wife was working, but we wanted to have children and, and we weren't having success with that. So her dad came, her mom and dad came down to visit us and we had planned uh, to give my wife a blessing. And, you know, so there was a lot of anticipation. Hey, this is going to be this opportunity to give her a blessing and we're going to have children. And so as, as we um, laid our hands on her head, called her by name, stated the authority that we held, which is an awesome thing to be able to exercise the priesthood, I felt God's love for my wife. And I conveyed that love and she recognized it. And then I listened for what I was hoping I could share with her. And so she was looking for me to bless her to multiply and replenish the earth, right? And I blessed her with patience. And it wasn't my words, it was the prompting and, the, and the, what I felt. And so she understandably was upset. She thought, hey, this isn't the blessing I was hoping for. And her dad said, hey, this was the same feeling I had. This was the blessing that you were that was, that was meant for you. And so she's taught me a lot of lessons about being humble, being faith-filled. She recognized that was what was supposed to happen. And she learned her lesson quickly. We learned her lesson quickly. Within 18 months, we had triplets. So the patience paid off and we had, you know, careful what you wish for, right? Thank you. <clears throat> so as I, one other um, Again, it, the pattern of, of making decisions. So we had triplets. It was kind of all hands on deck, working at home or, or working and trying to balance things at home. Uh, there was a lot going on. And I recognized, again, I didn't want to stay long-term in a CPA firm. And in the busy season, there were really heavy hours that were just overwhelming. And so I was looking for answers to where I should take my career. And I listened to a talk by... President James E. Faust, if you remember him, he's been gone for a while. And his message was, all of life's questions can be answered by studying the Book of Mormon. I believe that to be true. I know it to be true. It's been true in my life. So I took that challenge and I said, I said a prayer. I said, Heavenly Father, I'm going to read the Book of Mormon in 60 days. I just set a timeline. I said, in those 60 days, I'm, these are the answers I'm hoping for. I want some direction and where to take my career next. And in that 60 days, um, I got a job offer to, to change to a different company that had more flexibility, better pay. And, and I took the job and it ended up turning out great. When I look back on it, part of the miracle of that process was the job offer came up. The bigger miracle was through the process of reading the Book of Mormon, my heart was softened. And my perspective changed. The guys at my old firm were like, oh, this is career suicide. You shouldn't leave. You need to stay for at least five years. And they had a really clear pattern of where you should be for the first five years. I was breaking that pattern. Because I studied the Book of Mormon and had, it gave me better perspective. It softened my heart to recognize 
that there are more important things in life than this part of my career. And it turned out to be a great blessing. The, what they thought would be true is not true. I ended up get a nice pay raise, and then each year they said, well, you'll get a nice pay raise up front, but your, your annual increases won't be that high compared to where we're going to go. It ended up being that it was, we were about the same. I, I took a really big pay raise, and then each year mine were about commensurate with theirs. And so I, I recognize that in that process, God answered my prayers. He, he not only provided some of the answers, but he also softened my heart and, and changed my perspective to move forward with answers that were more important. So anyway, that's uh, the importance of letting God prevail in our lives. And I'm grateful that God has prevailed in my life, and I'm trying to allow him to continue to prevail. When we look at the world today, there's never been more information, disinformation, and less direction. I am so thankful that we have a prophet to lead and guide us. I'm grateful that we have the tools to give us direction and guidance throughout everything that we do. Well, to go, I guess, to fast forward a little bit, um, we ended up in, as was shared, 2006, moving back to Idaho. And that was another kind of pivot point in our lives of deciding to change careers where I left a pretty comfortable um, career of, of secured income and salary to uh, jumping into commercial real estate. And in commercial real estate, as a sales broker, you, you kind of eat what you kill, effectively. Right? You, you don't go do a deal, you're not getting paid. <clears throat> but so that was a pretty big change for me, and I was grateful that my wife had faith in me and trusted that we were, gonna, we were moving in a good direction. <coughs> and we've had ups and downs, but overall it's been a great, a great career and a great career path. I think about um, you know, life and processes and challenges that we face. And again, the importance to focus our life on Jesus Christ. So my... my uh, of the triplets, they're now 22 years old, and our daughter Isabel, when she was, when we were in Arizona, we were visiting in Idaho, she fell into a ditch and got exposed to E. coli, and she ended up being in Primary Children's Hospital for five weeks on her deathbed, effectively. Kidneys had shut down. And, you know, in that window of life, uh, you realize that's all that matters is your family. And in those moments, those tender moments of thinking, is she going to make it or not? the importance of the eternal family and the focus on Jesus Christ, knowing that families are eternal and regardless of the outcome, we'd be with our daughter again someday. Well, thankfully she made it through. And we were told since she had so much damage to her kidneys, they came back on, She's, she lived a, a full, you know, active life through junior high, high school, played college volleyball. And then in, after her second year of college volleyball, her kidneys went into kidney failure and my wife donated her kidney to her a little over a year ago, and they're both doing great. But I look back at that, and I'm so thankful that through thick or thin, through ups or downs, as we focus our lives on Jesus Christ, the circumstances aren't nearly as important to our happiness as our focus. And I, I recognize that fully. Well, if... if um, how are we looking for time? Because we're going to do some Q&A. <clears throat> when I think about... I'll show you one other story really quick. When I was a kid, we didn't have much money. And so my mom signed me up for ski school. We didn't have money to pay for you know, new skis, and so we found some thrift skis. 
And so for Christmas, she bought me these snow pants. And I opened them up, and they were from a thrift store. I think they were DI, whatever. And they were green from the bottom to the waist. And then they had, the, you know, they had the overall bib ones, flowers. <laughs> Orange and green flowers from the top up and green down. And I said, Mom, these snow pants have flowers on them. What? And she said, well, just turn them inside out. You'll be fine. <laughs> so I said, okay. So the first pick, I turned them inside out. And it worked out fine, but you got the zipper out and the seams. I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. So the next week I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, nobody takes their coats off. We only go to, this is like fifth grade. When you go to school in the morning, then we left at noon to ride the bus to the ski, to the ski slopes, and then you'd ski and you'd be home with that. Nobody ever takes their coat off because you're there in the morning. I'm going to turn them right side out. And I'm going to, um, I'll just leave my coat on. No one will ever know. And they all won't have the weird zipper sticking out, you know. So I go to school, and I'm focused, right? Don't let that coat come off. I sit down in my chair, and lo and behold, Stephanie Keller is in my class. She walks in, same green snow pants, with the flowers, no coat on. And so she walks in, and all my friends look at me, and they look at her, and they say, hey, Stephanie's snow pants, they look kind of like your pants, but hers have flowers. Do yours have flowers? Uh-uh, nope. <laughs> Nope, I kept I kept the button up. Nope. Hey, what'd you get on number five? How, what's the answer to that? You know, I'm changing the subject. And they're like, they're looking at the seams. And they're like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. No, nope, nope, there's no flowers on my pants. Anyway, I kept my coat on. And then we get on the bus and the teacher, the, the, the uh, other parents on the bus, hey, we got a great idea, kids. If you take your coat off on the bus ride, then when you get off the bus and you put your coat on, you'll feel warmer when you go outside. Everybody's taking their coats off. Nope, nope, I'm a little cold. I'm leaving my coat on. Anyway, I didn't mind because I got to ski. I was appreciative that my mom figured out a way to get me on the slope. And those are the experiences in life that humble us, right? And we need to learn to laugh at ourselves and, and, um, and appreciate that, you know, without a good sense of humor, we might be offended at times. And uh, it can help us overcome offense and, and help us move forward. The last thing I would share, again, doing daily things consistently can overcome great things and allow us to accomplish great things. I was, three years ago, I attended a mission reunion. Uh, President Wigglesworth came over from England, from Hogwarts. And we had, <laughs> we had this great reunion. We had, um, I hadn't, there were many missionaries I've stayed in touch with, but many I hadn't. And so we're kind of sitting there and talking and visiting. And then I left, I came home and I started inventorying in my mind. I thought, man, Hadn't thought about elder so-and-so or sister so-and-so in 20-plus years. And then I thought about those that maybe had strayed a little bit and those that had stayed active. And I thought, what's the pattern? If I look back 20-plus years ago at these missionaries, what was it about their life or their service that would be a predictor for them to be active 20 years later? And if I asked you, you might have great answers. Oh, they were hardworking. They were, they were good listeners. They were centered on Jesus Christ. They studied in the morning. They had good habits. And I would say to you, th that's true. I think those are all elements of, of who we are and, and who we become. But the answer was, there's no pattern. What you did 20 years ago doesn't matter today. I mean, it does, but it matters. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If you don't choose every day to serve and follow Jesus Christ in your daily habits, 
then anybody can, can lose their way. I think of President Nelson's quote, with frightening speed, a testimony that is not nourished daily by the good word of God can crumble. Thus, the antidote to Satan's scheme is clear. We need daily experiences worshiping the Lord and studying his gospel. I plead with you to let God prevail in your life. Give him a fair share of your time as you do. Notice what happens to your positive spiritual momentum. So again, the themes of my life, let God prevail. Center your life on Jesus Christ. God believes in agency. He loves us and trusts us. God can do more with your life than you can. Happiness has more to do with the focus of your life than the circumstances. I'm grateful for Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for who he's helping me to become. I'm grateful for the principle of forgiveness and the ability we have to change and improve. I'm grateful that in a world with a lot of information, disinformation, we have direction through a prophet in President Russell M. Nelson. I know he is a prophet of God and I sustain him. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.